Mark, it's nice to see you. It's very, very good to see you too, my friend. Uh, I know bo- both of us have been very busy. So, so this... Uh, real busy. You know what we need to do? We got to get the families together in real life. IRL. You want to pull out our calendars right now? No, let's do it after the recording. Let's do it after the recording. But I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like a backyard get together or something like that. Maybe some burgers, hot dogs, you know, maybe like a kiddie pool or something. Podcast. <laughs> podcast. Is that how you get yourself jazzed up to record? <laughs> you just yell out, podcast. <laughs> Maybe that's how we should start it from now on. I love it. This podcast right here is called Modern Dadhood. And as you and I have said many times, 69 times now, I think, uh, it's an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. My name's Adam Flaherty, and I have two daughters who are who are eight and five. Good Almost Lord. forgot. Good Lord. It happens. Let them know who you are, my friend who has a sharp new haircut. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm looking real slick. Uh, my name's Mark Checkett, and I have uh, two children, uh, both boys. They're twins. It's, it's incredible. It's a roller coaster ride, always. And my house is always loud, always a mess. But that's life. And it's wonderful. No, they're fraternal twins. That's right. They both came from the same father. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how that works? Thank uh, goodness. No, I don't think that's what that means, actually. No. Um, no, yeah, they're fraternal twins. They're not identical twins. That's Though they do look a lot alike. They do, yeah. They both have blonde hair, blue eyes, light skin. Uh, they also have very unique things about the way they look, too. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, they do. It's not hard to tell them apart. No, no. They're, and they're getting to the point where like their features kind of, you know, we all, we all, we all do this thing where we kind of look at our own baby pictures and our, and our spouse's baby pictures. And we kind of compare at ages, yeah. you know? Uh, and, uh, and yeah, they each sort of, it's weird cause they each sort of have features from both of us, but in different ways. So they both yeah. look like both of us, but different. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's weird is, um, my older daughter, who's eight now, there's not really any distinguishing features that you look at and say, hmm. you know, that's me or that's Sarah. Yeah. Um, when there are p- certain pictures of her when where she looks like my dad when he was young, hmm. which is interesting. Um, my five-year-old looks, uh, uh, most people say, a lot like me and my side of the family, my mother and my sister. And But Sarah has a sister who has a son. Uh, actually, you remember... Chad, yep. who's on our podcast. So yep. Chad and Katie have a, a son who is one and a half. Mm-hmm. Looking at him compared to pictures of Sarah, my wife. So not even his mother, <laughs> his aunt, when she yeah. was the same age, you know, a year and a half. There's a lot of similarities, which is really? I find super interesting. Yeah. Kids, man. Genes, genetics. Genes, pants. We should probably remind our listeners that Although we talk about fatherhood a lot and sometimes we come across as with, you know, little grains of intelligence that we were not experts on fatherhood. No, not the slightest bit. I just like to remind folks of that from time to time. Yeah, probably smart. If you're looking for experts, seek them elsewhere. Or suggest that expert to us 
But we'll interview that person. Which is a wonderful segue uh, to our guest for today's episode is Matt Fox. He is a coach who works with dads specifically on how to balance their lives. So how to balance, you know, work life, home life, how to make your family a priority, make your happiness a priority. I spoke with Matt recently. Mark, obviously you weren't part of that conversation. So as just as I'm excited to share the chat with our listeners, I'm also really excited for you to hear it. Yeah, yeah, I I too am stoked. <laughs> so stick around for that. I got a little something I can share with you. Okay. My eight-year-old just returned from uh, an overnight camp. It was three nights overnight. Wow. And it was the longest that she has stayed away from us. And really, probably the longest that we haven't communicated with her. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. uh, she had a great time. And I'm certain she's going to want to do it again probably yeah. next year, probably for more nights. Yeah. But it was kind of a big thing. That is a big thing. I feel like there's, a, I feel like I have several things that I want to, I want to hear about. One of course is I want, I want to know her like emotional feelings leading up to yeah, the departure and, and, and knowing that she, but I also want to know mom and dad's perspective here too. Like that must've been kind of hard to, to, to let her go for, for three nights for the first time ever. Tell me both sides. So the the high level story is that it's a camp that my wife attended for a number of years when she was young. When my wife got an email or some advertisement about this camp that they were doing um, and my older daughter fit into the age group of the youngest group of campers, uh, she said, I'm going to see if she wants to do this. And so we brought it up with my daughter. Um, she was instantly all about it. She was super psyched about it. And this was maybe... A month or six weeks before. So there was like a good buffer of time for her to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we kind of talked about it periodically and really at no point did she express any concern about it. Yeah. Like a couple times I asked her in the day or two pr prior, I was like, are you, you feeling nervous about yeah. this? Like, have you thought about what you might be feeling like when we're driving away? Just because I just, I didn't want her to become overwhelmed with emotions seeing us drive away without at least thinking about what that exactly feel like yeah that could be kind of jarring you know in that in that moment like a jarring realization of it could be this uh, sort of oh shit uh i'm on my own now yeah exactly exactly but no she was cool as a cucumber about it and even when we dropped her off she gave us big hugs and we hopped back in the car and we left and and sarah and i have talked about it since like it was almost harder for us to not put the car in park and jump out and give her one last hug, right. you know, it, driving away for us. It was weirder for us than it was for her. She was signing in on some forms and she had all of her stuff and she didn't even really think a thing of it. So, And, and at that point, it's like you almost run the risk of like making her nervous by showing her that you guys are nervous. You know, there's sort of a line that you don't want to cross there. Yeah. Um, long story short, she did really well. It was weird not having her around for a couple of days. Uh, it did give us some really nice kind of one-on-one time with our five-year-old, and it was good for her to have a different kind of attention. As much as I might have expected it to be a little bit more dramatic, like for her and for us, yeah. it really was pretty easy, and she had an awesome time. 
can you imagine at this point sending the boy like not that they're old enough to do that but can you sort of put yourself in that mindset of when they're seven or eight years old and going off to an overnight camp and suddenly you and Jamie are a couple who don't are not responsible (laughs) for kids for several days I mean I mean yeah it's on one hand it's hard to fathom that happening on the other hand it's very exciting prospect knowing that maybe there is a time I'm in our future where we can send our kids yeah. away and yeah. just have the house to ourselves for a few days. I mean, I'm really excited for the boys to go out and experience things like that. But to think about like an overnight, you know, I mean, that's it's going to be a big thing that someday they're going to experience. And I'm I'm excited for them to eventually get to that point. But it, it is it is pretty hard. It is pretty hard to imagine that now for sure. Yeah. Off doing things, making friends having experiences, learning lessons, you know, mm-hmm. without us there. Yeah. But I'm glad it went as smooth as it did. And, oh, and we honestly couldn't be more proud of her. All right, Mark. So a few weeks back, I reached out to Matt Fox. Uh, I had been I'm not sure how I came across him, but I'd been following him on LinkedIn and really enjoying his content. And he writes a lot about stress and anxiety and, um, you know, time management and work-life balance. Um, But the core of his work is with dads and, you know, finding ways to prioritize things in your life that are most important to you, your happiness, relaxation, uh, time with your family, And also, you know, being able to feel a sense of accomplishment in the work that you're getting done, too. So I was pretty fascinated by it. I really like the posts that he makes, the blogs that he writes. And so I reached out to him uh, and asked if he wanted to join us on our podcast. Well, shit. Bring him in. Hit play. (laughs) (laughs) Don't confuse Matt Fox, however, with Matthew Fox, who played Jack on Lost. This is a different guy. Oh, that Matt Fox. I don't want to mislead anybody. Yeah. No, this is a different Matt Fox. Anyway, you know him from Lost. <laughs> you know him from the Heart of Dad podcast. But here's <laughs> Matt Fox. So I'm pleased to welcome Matt Fox to the Modern Dadhood Conversation. Matt is the host of the Heart of Dad podcast, which is centered around helping entrepreneurs and senior leaders be at their best for their families and their businesses. Uh, Matt coaches dads on things like work-life balance and helps them to discover the best parts of both of those things uh, before it's too late. Matt, I've been following you for a while now on LinkedIn, uh, really enjoying your philosophies and I'm really glad to have this time with you. So thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for that introduction, Adam. I'm really looking forward to uh, this conversation together. So we usually start by asking folks about their families. So uh, tell me about who you are sort of outside of business. You know, how many kids do you have? What are their ages? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm married and um, I've got two kids, uh, a bit of a gap between the two of them. My eldest is an eight-year-old, just turned eight. And my second was born just a little bit earlier than this time last year. So he's just over one. And um, so we're rediscovering the joys of um, 
having a baby in in the midst having completely forgotten i have to say what the uh, wow, wow. <laughs> revolution that creates in your life um yeah i wanted to talk about your business coaching so from what i understand please correct me if this isn't accurate but the the psychology that your coaching is based on really stemmed from your own experience building businesses and then and then having children and being forced to balance those parts of your life. I wonder, can you share a bit about your backstory and sort of how you ended up doing what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Such a great question. So I would call myself a, uh, a reformed workaholic. And um, I spent most of my 20s and 30s really pushing very hard at work. Um, that was kind of the template I'd inherited from my own dad. I didn't really know differently. Um, I didn't find it very easy to set any boundaries between work and home life. I didn't have children at that time. So, And in my early 30s, I was very fortunate to be able to start my own business with uh, three other friends. That took me on a path to extraordinary growth as an entrepreneur and a business person. But it also started... Um, a journey of personal growth, uh, because in that period, um, my workaholism nearly took me out. I got to a point where I was burnt out. I had to take a complete break from the business. I wasn't sure whether I could actually continue. I had an enormous amount of shame and concern and um, despair about that. I felt I was letting everybody down in my team, with my colleagues, um, with my clients. And yet now, in retrospect, that was the beginning of the big reset. that to really start thinking about how I was being in the world, what I wanted and uh, how I was showing up in my own life and what I was willing to put up with and tolerate. So uh, at that time uh, I was in therapy and um, I was really exploring with my therapist all the unwritten rules and unconscious rules I'd created in myself to um, live that way, which was living actually without great joy, without a lot of um, lightness. There was a lot of suffering and um, and a feeling of trappedness. I felt really, really trapped. When it came time to sell that business, I had already been thinking about a career change. Um, I'd really enjoyed it. We you had know, come through that really dark period and made some changes already to set better boundaries, to take better care of myself, to maybe yeah put myself first, maybe for the first time in my life, uh, but not in a in a selfish way, but in a way that actually. You know, kept me, kept body and soul together, perhaps. And um, I had this calling to work with people. And my first direction was to go in the direction of mental health. And I trained as a psychotherapist and I left the business I'd created and we'd sold it and um, I went into psychotherapy. The year I set up my psychotherapy practice, my first child was born, my son was born. And that pitched me into a complete crisis again. (laughs) I had all these ideas of what being a father would be and how that would fit in with my life. And the reality was completely different. And we had some particular challenges uh, with our first child, which um, I did not really understand very well. They were quite unexpected. And I don't know whether uh, somebody would have diagnosed me with postnatal depression, male postnatal depression, but I think I was just in that sense of, Everything is in a mess here. You know, I don't know how to handle myself. And here I was as a psychotherapist. And I was carrying all this discomfort and shame around how I was being as a dad and who I was being. And um, it was a very, very difficult time. 
I had done a ton of coaching um, in my business. I'd been responsible for the leadership and talent development in the business, and I loved that part of it. So I had this sense of I'd love to go into coaching now, but what have I learned about this experience? You know, now I'm a dad. I, I have all these thoughts about how I'm showing up as a dad. I don't hear many honest conversations, and I'm so glad there's podcasts like yours and other people now coming into the space and saying that this is the reality of being a, a father. And I really felt like I wanted to explore within myself and then explore with others what it means to be a father and committed to your business, what it, what it means to be committed to your work life, but not sacrificing the fatherhood part and not sacrificing the work part. Because actually I, I came to realise that although I didn't want to be a workaholic anymore, my identification with my work and my enjoyment of my work was really important to me. I didn't want to have a life where that wasn't important to me anymore. At the same time, I didn't want to have a life where, you know, my, my children were a a kind of a side thought or not that, not that important to me or kind of like, you know, just a, a slice of time at the in the evening and the weekends that didn't, didn't feel right to me. So all that has come together really along with some deep learning about human psychology and uh, the nature of life to, to bring me into this coaching offer, which is really about love, presence, connection, um, performance, but without the, um, the deep costs that I'd experienced uh, in, in my thirties. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. There was uh, there was a lot there and I have uh, several things that I want to kind of jump back to, but one of the questions I had was when you had started your psychotherapy practice and you had your first child, was that just you or did you have a team of people working with you? And, and the reason I ask is because I know that it may be different here in the United States if a, a new dad does get a paternity leave is maybe two weeks. And I know that, you know, I owned a business and I owned and operated a business when I had both of my children and I took, you know, two, two and a half weeks. And then I was right back at it. For me personally, one of the positive things that's come out of this otherwise horrible pandemic is that for me, I have more flexibility in my life now. And there, there there's, that's maybe a whole separate conversation. What I want to ask you is, when you opened your psychotherapy practice, you had your first child, did you feel an obligation to get right back into work as quickly as possible? And if you had other people working with you, did you expect the same of them? Yeah, I love that question. So the timing was slightly different for me. So when I um, exited my business, my child was born, I negotiated my exit and I had a, a, a notice period of um, three months and I took the notice period after I took paternity leave. So I negotiated some paid time off, which was the standard in the UK is two weeks. And then I took two weeks off unpaid. So I took a month off. And then um, I went back to finish off on a reduced hours, my, my contracted work with the business I'd sold. And in those extra two days, I felt compelled to start my psychotherapy practice. And what I see now, and I saw not then in the moment, but you know, afterwards with reflection and, and the support from others that I had an enormous amount of anxiety about being a dad. And my familiar place to go to was to work hard. Uh -huh. So I filled my time um, in those first few months because my emotional state was like, oh my God, this is just like a storm arriving in our family. <laughs> I don't know how to handle this. I'm going to just do what I know what to do, which is to um, work my backside off. And um, I remember uh, having my son on my lap or my chest napping in those first few months. And I was writing my website copy for my psychotherapy practice. And there was a sense of like, I can't really 
manage those two states. I'm just going to have to <laughs> mess my way through it. Um, and it was only later when I kind of got through that period of anxiety that I realized this isn't sustainable or even a way of living. I was kind of going, going back to the type. I was going back to how I'd been in my 30s and, and you know, that didn't end very well. So um, I knew, okay, I need to do something here. I need to, I need to make some choices and um, think differently about this. And that led me to reconfigure my work once I'd finished with the uh, the business I'd left, uh, and I decided that I was going to work four days a week. Um, I wasn't going to do full days. I was going to allow time in that that day to to be with my family and connect with them. And um, I was always going to have a, a three day weekend that was going to be a non non negotiable for me. And I've been living that way since. Um, there's been some impacts in terms of income. You know, I've made some choices um, around income, but. There's been the flexibility, uh, which you, you alluded to, which I think has been very powerful. And then there's been the um, priceless gift of time with my family that um, I couldn't have done before. It's wonderful that you've been able to do that. And I would imagine that you're, in your coaching practice, you are encouraging people to to figure out what their priorities are and adjust their life accordingly. But one thing that you said was that it inevitably made some changes to your income. And obviously money is kind of a big factor in all of this. And I think that the truth is a lot of times, you know, whether you are salary, whether you're fully a a freelance uh, owner operator, whether you are working hourly, the more you work, the harder you work, the more revenue you're generating, right? So how in your practice do you help people to kind of rationalize this idea and to prioritize their free time when when they may see that as as leaving money on the table that ultimately they're creating for their family happy people work better than people who are sad and frustrated and trapped and depressed and flexible working is one way to support people into happiness because I've met very few dads in the time that I've been doing this work who say, um, truly in the bottom of my heart, I want to work harder and not spend time with my family. <laughs> no. The longing is to connect with their children and their spouses or partners and um, uh, to, to be able to I- enjoy that time, however motivated they are in, in, their, in their work situation. So I think you asked the right question, which is you know, to get, help people really see what's important to them at, at the deepest level. And to let go of the anxiety around income, you know, we all crave security at some level, but we also need to understand what is enough, what is adequate and what is important. Uh I think the pandemic has shown that uh, stability and security are illusions. You know, we we cling on to this idea that we we know what's going to happen tomorrow. And when I think back to uh, the beginning of 2020, you know, between January and March, when it really hit in the UK, if you told me in January, this is what was going to happen, I'd have, I just said that was absurd. And yet from one week to another, when we went into lockdown in the UK, our experience of life changed 100%. So, you know, the the idea that a paycheck or um, anything like that buys security is just a fallacy, really. So I want to help people see that that a sense of security comes from a far deeper place within. It's kind of the, the core of who we are. And everything else is kind of, play through the game of life and and what we choose to create. That idea of trying to identify what is enough, what is adequate is really interesting to me because yeah, maybe I could land on 
this amount of income is enough for my family to live comfortably and for me to feel like we are secure between my income and my wife's income. But if I do this extra bit of work, I could save up for a vacation that is going to be an experiential thing that my family has all together. And if I don't do this work, maybe we don't take that vacation. So that that that's where it seems to me um, where it could get a little muddy. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, okay, good. I, I just want to respond to that for a second, and and I love the idea of experiences and, and and vacations or holidays as experiences. You know, of course, they they contribute to kind of the, the richness of your family life and your your childhood and and the life that you go into but for me the vacation isn't what creates happiness the vacation is an experience and and fantastic Mm -hmm. if you go on amazing vacations you know why not if you can do that but that isn't where happiness is created happiness created from a sense of who we are within i can be happy going five thousand miles for a holiday i can be happy uh, sitting in in my garden with my children i think when we land in that place then we're much freer to choose because if creating the, the experience as a child becomes a pressure you know i have to work those extra hours or do that freelance piece because you know there's an expectation that i have to create experiences for my family throughout uh, throughout their their childhoods with me then that doesn't feel to me like a, a light place to live from you know if the lightness is you know well i'd love to create that experience with my family and working those extra nights or or days for a few weeks creates that. And I can do that from a place of lightness. Fantastic. But as soon as it becomes like a pressure, that doesn't seem so attractive to me. A few minutes ago, you mentioned this word uh, present or presence. For me, you know, between my full-time job and various, you know, creative projects that I take on outside of work, I'm on the computer a lot. And that may be when they come home from school, uh, I'm working from home, I'm on the computer or, you know, I get I get up early in the morning before the rest of my family is up so that I can get into some of that either work or things that, I, you know, creative fulfillment, things that I enjoy. But it's it's not uncommon for my kids to be around when I'm still in work mode. And I, it, I guess the the challenge is, is how to be disciplined in prioritizing that time. So, you know, I find myself like when I, I, I am immersed in work, responding to them, but really not engaged with them. I wonder if you have any any advice for someone like me who's, who's driven at a high level and I have a really hard time pulling away from it at the detriment to relationships with our kids. Mm. Yeah, I love that question. And I think so many men... We'll be able to identify, and maybe women as well. I don't want to gender stereotype this, but a lot of I can identify with it as a man. Um, I've definitely been in that place, and sometimes find myself in that place too, Adam. So it's a, such a great question. You know, the first thing I would suggest to somebody talking about in this way would be to bring compassion to their experience, because I also hear that there can be judgment. Right? I should be. I should be sure giving my kids attention at that time. I shouldn't be focusing all the time on my on my creative projects in this way because it's to the detriment of my kids. Am I judging myself about this? Am I critical of myself about this? Because then it becomes a problem to fix. And what if you didn't see this as a problem? What if, you know, as a possibility, what if this wasn't a problem? And to see what came up from that. 
another it seems like every every answer you give really segues into another uh, question that I had for you. And this this is about the the sense of overwhelm and, you know, that that feeling being a result of our brains, you know, spinning too fast and too much um, in the past year or so. I have been in a pretty good structured program of uh, daily, almost daily hypnosis. And it's been working really well for me to kind of slow my brain down. And I wonder, is that is the practice of meditation a part of your coaching or something that you recommend? I love this question. <laughs> I am a completely failed meditator. Oh, wow. Um, I've tried so many times in my life to get into meditation. And, you know, I went to for Buddhist studies, I bought apps, you, you name it, I've tried it. It felt like a, a, a failing and a, and a terrible pressure I put on myself to be a better meditator. And then in the last few years, as I brought this kind of new understanding into my life and, and new ways of working, what I've seen is that there is a difference between meditation and a meditative state. There is nobody on the planet who can't get into a meditative state. You know, we have this capacity to enter a meditative state um, very easily, actually. I really want to um, put it out there for anybody who's uh, beaten themselves up for not being able to meditate, that actually that's not an issue, that you know, there are so many ways to enter in a meditative state. And that is a beautiful state of being because it is a, it's a metaphor for presence. It's a metaphor for stillness. It's a metaphor for quietness within and from that place, we feel so connected, connected with ourselves, connected with those around us, connected with the world, uh, with a sense of grace and gratitude. So I'm 100% for helping my clients find a meditative state, but I'm, have, I'm completely agnostic about how they do that. But what we're prioritizing is finding our way into a meditative state. And you can do no, literally nothing and find yourself in that place. So are there any other ways that you sort of practice what you preach? Any other daily habits that really work well for you that you enjoy sharing with other dads? Yeah, for me, um, I suppose the phrase that I have to bring into my consciousness on a regular basis is slow down. Hmm. Yeah, I'm somebody who has always rushed at life and has got very busy and is always doing things. And so slow down. Um, when I do that, it brings so many benefits. It brings me into presence, into awareness, into a more compassionate relationship with myself. So um, the thing I'm interested in is transitions, really. Transitions between work state and home state, getting up and getting into the day and, and just taking a few moments to make a, a mindful, conscious transition. So I think just slowing down and really listening, listening deeply to what I need that to me has been the thing that I've been cultivating and has perhaps has been the most helpful. Everybody's unique. They can have their own way into slowing down and presence. And that's really the only thing I think that, that, that matters in this. I think love and fatherhood, um, I, I wouldn't say they get a bad rap because you know their fathers can be incredibly loving and have immensely big hearts and be supportive. But I want to invite men into a dialogue about what it is to love and to express love and to be love and to live love. Because to me, that is the heart, <laughs> as in the, my podcast, The Heart of Dad, it's the heart of what um, makes life uh, this wonderful, exciting, uh, amazing, sometimes challenging journey. So um, I wouldn't want to finish the interview, Adam, without really 
bringing love into the conversation and inviting dads to open themselves to their deeper heart, to that loving feeling that is their essence. You know, we can get so caught up in stories of what we should be doing and how we should be doing it, what we should be earning, how we can create security for our family, the things we're doing well, the things we're not doing well, self-improvement. If we strip all that away and return to the kind of the home, then for me, we connect with this essence of who we are, a masculine expression of love, but at the essence, the same as every other human being, that energy of love. And um, for me, that is what fatherhood is about, really, that uh, exploration, connection with expression of that love. Dads, I highly recommend following Matt Fox on LinkedIn. His posts always inspire me to look at parenthood-related things from a different angle. You can check out his podcast, Heart of Dad, which you can find wherever you listen to Modern Dadhood. And if you're interested in exploring one-on-one coaching with Matt, you can contact him right through his website, which is mattfoxcoaching.com. Matt, I want to thank you again for your time and all the best to you and your family. Adam, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I love the questions you've asked and thank you for creating this space for other dads to explore dadhood in this way. Uh, You're doing some great work together with uh, Mark for, for the world. It's a great service. Do you hear that? Because it sounds like it's the right time for a recurring segment. It's just the universe quietly, you know, ushering us toward a recurring segment. So that's a thing now. (gasps) Did you hear that? My God. It was so clear and specific about which recurring segment. (laughs) Funny you you should mention that universe because I do have a so that's a thing now. Tell us what's going on in the check it house. Quick context. One of my sons in particular, I've said this on the show before, he gets a little, he gets a little floppy, especially in the evenings, especially if he's maybe missed a nap and he, he and he's super tired towards the end of the, the night. He gets particularly like floppy and he's not very good at controlling his, his body. And one night was the, the, the floppiness was particularly bad. Uh, he was also just mentally, he was just done and everything was really bothering the hell out of him. You know, I think, I think in this particular night, he was trying to put some Legos together and they kept, you know, he's like pushing and then he, you know, his hands go wild and the Legos go flying and he gets really mad and he screams and he kicks the floor. And, you know, my wife and I are like, we got to get these kids upstairs to bed, like stat pronto. So one of them's like, sure, fine. Goes upstairs and is like getting ready to get in the bath. You know, this other son is, uh, is just we'll getting jello bones. We'll <laughs> the, the flappier of the two is he does this thing often where he goes over to the steps, but then sort of collapses down on them. And then I can, it, the only way I can describe the way he comes up the steps sometimes is as if it's, uh, if, as if you're, as if it's a slinky in reverse, like if, if he somehow just does this weird, you know, and it's just yeah. so it's funny, but it's also really annoying because it takes him a long time to get up the steps. And 
So he's mad that he's. I'm picturing that mm-hmm. scene from Wet Hot American Summer where Paul Rudd <laughs> is in the kitchen with Janine Garofalo. Do you know what I'm yes, talking about? Absolutely. And she scolds him for something, and yes. he just starts flopping around. It's oh, that's such sulking. A- it's such a good visualization. Yes, it's it's spot on. It's it's like I that. I love that. And he's and he's he's putting up a stink while he's going up the stairs and he's mad about the thing that was happening downstairs. He's mad about having to go to bed and whatever. He's just exhausted. So we finally get to the top of the steps and in the commotion, you know, it's just a small area and my wife's up there, the two boys are up there, I'm up there. It's a small little space and out of nowhere, he's, I don't know, I think he's just taken some of his clothes off to get ready. And he just full force runs into a wall. And, oh, and it's no. like, I mean, it's like major, like thud, and then sort of falls to the floor. There's a second thud. And then he just wails, right? And I don't even know that it necessarily hurt that much, but I think he's just like had it, you know? Yeah. And so he wails. And my wife and I look at each other and our eyes roll. And then I sit down on the floor next to him to try to be like, it's okay. And Chris, he doesn't really want me to comfort him because he's just so right. mad. And he's still being kind of floppy and kicking me and kicking around. And in this like exasperated, you know, frustration, he's like half yelling, screaming, tears are just streaming down his face. You know, he, he, yell, he yells out, um, he yells out, who even put that wall there? Like it's, that's so good. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> and that makes my wife and I laugh, which again, in these moments, there's so many funny things that happen. And so often you can't allow yourself to take too much joy in those things. Because yeah. But that is, that's pure comedy. How can you not? Yeah. That's pretty, that was pretty funny. But so in an effort to try not to laugh, but to try to work with him, I am saying like, Oh, I don't know, buddy. It's a, it's in a bad spot. It must've been somebody that built the house, one of the contractors or something. And he's so mad and he still, he wants more out of that answer. Like he really kind of wants an answer now of like, who put that wall there? And so I was. As if it hasn't been there for his entire life. (laughs) Exactly. It was put there for the sole purpose just that afternoon so that he would run into it. But so, so as I'm reaching to sort of give him some kind of answer, I just pluck the name Ron DeSantis out of my head because I had been reading earlier about things happening, things happening in Florida. And so he's losing his mind. I'm trying to give him an answer. The name that comes to out of my mouth is, "Ah, I think it was Ron DeSantis. He put that wall there. Like if the if the person who put the wall there is a jerk, you might as well <laughs> pin it on an asshole, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, so that that then prompts my son to say a phrase that um, <laughs> feel like I need more. I feel I said this is going to be quick. It's not quick. I also feel like I need a little bit more context before I reveal the next part of this. Sometimes swear words are are said around our house. Okay. Like my wife and I don't, don't hold back. Right. And so our kids pick these things up and they say them and we sort of have some rules around them. Like you can't really say, please don't say these words at school. You, you know, these words are special and sometimes it can all be used. You know, we had given them, we had given them the okay to use some colorful language around things like, for example, COVID. One day somebody was getting really mad and they wanted to yell about, you know, they wanted to, we were doing a COVID test and we said, you can, you can say that COVID is stupid. You can say that you can call COVID stupid. You can't call 
mommy and daddy stupid. You can't call friends at school stupid. It's okay if you want to say that about COVID. So my son is thinking about this in his head as I just gave him this name, Ron DeSantis, to blame this wall in our house on. And he immediately takes to that and takes out his frustration verbally. And he starts going, stupid Ron DeSantis, stupid fucking Ron DeSantis. And he's like sitting on the floor. <laughs> My other son's like, he's in the bath now. He's doing what he's supposed to do. My other son, this son is like melting down, but now he's got it. He's channeling it all towards Ron DeSantis. Um, and it was very funny. And the reason why that's a thing now is because we've actually heard him now since then on several occasions, get frustrated at something like a toy and quietly say to the toy, stupid Ron DeSantis. That is so good. Yeah. That is so good. <laughs> so that's that's a thing now around our household. So I love that's one of my favorite that's a thing nows. Yeah. That you've ever done. It's so good. That's <laughs> so funny to me. Just channeling our frustration towards the uh particular individual that is divisive. Stupid Ron DeSantis. Love it. That was great. <laughs> Stupid Ron DeSantis. Dads, you can find the podcast Modern Dadhood, all of our episodes at moderndadhood.com. Uh, wherever else you might listen to podcasts, that could be Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music. Um, wherever you listen, please subscribe. Please take a minute to give us a quick rating and a review. I'm talking like a one-line review. Um, I would say equally, if not more importantly, please tell someone who you care about about modern dadhood word of mouth hey while you're out there on the internet because i know you are i know you're out you're out there lurking i know you're out there right now lurkers you can check us out on facebook instagram we got a youtube and if you do end up on the site uh we got t-shirts we got dad hoodies uh you can also drop us soap yeah no 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 you no you can also drop us a line if you're feeling up to it. And hey, H-E-Y at moderndadhood.com. We love to hear from our listeners. We want to thank Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Alby for the music that you hear in our podcast. We want to thank Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio. That's redvaultaudio.com for mixing the show and making us sound great. I also want to thank Matt Fox for the really awesome chat. Mark, you have someone special that you would like to thank, don't you? Yeah, while we're on the thank you train, I want to make a quick stop. And I want to say thank you for listening. Choo-choo! <laughs> <laughs>